Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Why don't you grab a seat here? We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. One of the things that's great about being a pastor is I've loved the opportunity to have known a lot of people and been involved in, in different churches. And God's brought us to a couple different places over the years. And those people that we have ministered to and been a part of have really become like family to us. And when I was a youth pastor, we called them our kids. They were our, our kids that we nurtured, even though they were biologically somebody else's kids. In one way, they were ours. And we loved those kids. And we still follow them today. One of the hard things about being a pastor is also at times God has taken us to different places, which by the way, I'm not saying we're going anywhere from here. We want to be here a long time. But as we've had to go different places, when you leave a spot, you leave a piece of your heart with the people. That's the kind of thing that Paul was facing when he was in Thessalonica and had to leave. He was looking back and he loved those people that he had preached Jesus to and shared the gospel with and nurtured for even just a short amount of time that he was in this city. And he's looking back with with fond reflection on on who they are and what God has done in them. About two or three weeks ago, we had one of our friends from Holly that came here. Holly's the town we used to live in before we moved here a year ago. And one of the things that we sat and spent a lot of time talking about is, how is the church doing? How is so-and-so? And I wanted to get an update on how people in their faith was doing, how they were how they were growing in the Lord. How has God been working there over the last year? And it was exciting to hear how God had been doing that. But that's Paul's heart. That's the heart of a pastor. The heart of a pastor is one of affection. And as you see in this book, so far in the first three chapters, Paul's a little bit of a blubbering idiot when it comes to what he wants to say to them because he loves them so much. It's like a big love letter that he's written to them. And he wants them to grow in the Lord. He wants to know that they're doing well. That's my heart for River of Life, is I've come to love this church, as I've come to love you. I don't know all of you, but I know many of you, and I love you with a pastor's heart. One that wants God's best for you, wants you to be growing in the Word, wants, wants you to be succeeding in the midst of struggle, rejoicing in the middle of, of joy and the way things that God takes you through. I want to help you as I can. I want to pray for you. And that's the kind of heart that I see in Paul. It's the kind of pastoral heart I want more of. So as we come to this passage today, that's what we discover. As we come into it, if you remember last week, one of the things that we found is that the Thessalonian church was, they had become believers in the context of a culture that really was not so excited about them becoming believers. We can kind of relate to that. We live in a place where some of our culture says to us, just stop and just be like us. Let's just all be the same. And in the middle of that, there's a pressure that is choking on us. It, 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 there's an attempt to, in a sense, choke those faith right out of us, choke the life out of us. That's the same thing that the Thessalonians were facing. Some of their persecution, though, was leading even to physical persecution. There was an abandonment from family and relationships because of following Christ. And we can relate in some ways. And Paul now has been run out of this city. And he's looking back at Thessalonica. He's writing this letter to them. And if you remember last week, he wanted so badly to get back to them to find out how their faith was doing. 
Because he was concerned that in the middle of it, they might have fallen into temptation. They might have fallen away from the Lord. When we hit hard patches in our faith, there is a temptation to grow discouraged. There's a temptation that in that discouragement, we could fall into sin and become weak and ineffective Christians. And that's what Paul is concerned about. That's his pastoral heart reaching out to them. And so listen to what happens though. He sent Timothy to Thessalonica, and now the report is coming back. Look at in verse 6 of chapter 3. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith, and love and reported to us that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Verse 7, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. You see, Paul now has come back, uh, gotten the report back from Timothy. Sorry, Paul didn't go. Timothy went. He's gotten the report back, and he calls this report good news. Not a gospel good news, but good news. Have you ever gotten some, a piece of good news? And it encourages you, it brings you joy when you hear what's going on, what somebody else shares with you. That's what Paul got back. The good news was this. One is that the Thessalonians were standing strong in their faith. Despite this pressure that they were under, They weren't faltering. In fact, the church was thriving in the middle of that. The second thing that he's encouraged about, you see it in that text there, is that even though some had accused Paul of being someone who had just come to Thessalonica, shared the gospel, left them, and had no desire to ever come back and be with them, his concern had been, do they still love me? I love them. I want to be able to invest in this church some more. And he finds out that the Thessalonians still desire to see Paul. They still desire to have him invest in their lives And that comes out. So when Paul hears this news of how strong the faith is of the Thessalonians, even though they were in the middle of this persecution, oh, he's encouraged. He can't help but be encouraged because he hears how well they're doing. And so even though that faith that or that persecution could have knocked the wind right out of them, they're doing well. And he he's he jumps his morale jumps, you might say, in the middle of this. And he hears in this how he knows how he's poured his life into them and how he would love to go back to them like his children. Have you ever had, some of you have had your kids move out of the home and you long to get the phone calls that, that report how they're doing and to touch base with them. I can only imagine what that's like at this point, but I can understand the desire to know how your kids are doing. That's how Paul looks at this. And he says in verse 8 in the, in the ESV, it says, For now we live... If you're standing fast in the Lord, he's saying in there that he, he, he has life now. It's like life has come back to him. Sometimes I consult the contemporary English version. It gives a different wording to, to scripture. And this is how it's said in the contemporary English version. Your strong faith in the Lord is like a breath of new life. You see, when Paul heard about how well they're doing, he took a deep breath and it was like new life came back into him. All that concern he had was relieved because he heard the testimony of how well they're doing. Testimony plays a vital role in the life of a follower of Jesus. In fact, hearing the testimony of other Christians is vital. It's absolutely vital to our spiritual morale. What does it do? When we hear how God is working, it encourages us. 
It takes us possibly from a place of discouragement to a place of encouragement where we're motivated to move forward, where we see what God's doing and we praise God in the midst of that work. I wonder if sometimes our discouragement as Christians comes from a lack of us sharing our stories with each other about what God is doing. I wonder if it's our our lack of asking what God is doing. And Paul describes the Thessalonians' faith in this passage as standing fast in the Lord. Picture that term for just a second. Standing fast in the middle of perhaps a storm like a mighty tree that doesn't move. Their faith was firm and it was solid. It was one of Paul's favorite phrases to use of strong Christians. They're standing fast. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has sent us, set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Philippians 4.1, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So the report coming back to Paul was that they were standing strong and their faith was steady and not moved and not choked off. When was the last time you shared your story of how God is working in your life with somebody else? Do you ever talk about that? When was the last time you asked somebody else, how's God working in your life? We need to ask those questions. We need to be free to share that story. We need to be ready to answer that. What is God doing in our life? Because it is encouraging. I want to encourage you as your pastor today to share a couple of things that I see God doing at River of Life. Okay, one of those was yesterday. How many of you were a part of Share, uh, Share Fest yesterday? Share Fest was awesome, you guys. We had like a, a 100 to 120 people from River of Life that were here first thing in the morning. Then we went out all over the valley and we did jobs and work for people, making a connection, all in the banner of Christ, making a connection with people, sharing Christ's love with them. It was a great way for us to meet people that we probably wouldn't come in contact with otherwise. There was probably little relational touch. Some people were, were elderly, others just needed help. Maybe some, for some of them, they were disconnected from family or anybody that could help them. And so yesterday I was so proud of River of Life to watch us go out and do that. One of the highlights for me was at the end of both the the places we went, I had the opportunity to go up to the door with our group and ask if we could pray for them. You know, when I've done that after we've served somebody, I've never seen somebody say no. But they've always said yes. Some people are very specific with what they ask you to pray for. Some people are not as specific. But we got to pray with two people that we wouldn't have been able to do and ask that they would understand Christ's love for them. And just be a light of the gospel in that as we serve them. One gal at at the end of praying for her, as I looked up, she had tears coming down her face. I heard of another group who went and served somebody who was out in a spot where where this family had just lost a a loved one that past week, a family member that past week and buried them, I think, the day before. Another group was in a spot where this person had been diagnosed with cancer that week. Talk about opportunity that God has already lined up for us to be there on that day. River of Life, I'm proud of you. 
yesterday. That was an awesome day, awesome time of being out. We need to live a sharefest life all the time. But that was a great thing that we did. And I want us to keep looking for ways that we can make connections in the valley and out and about in our, in our community. And we'll keep doing that. We'll keep working towards that. So that was one thing. I jotted down a few things. One of them is this. I just want to mention to you, the craving that this church has for Christ is amazing. Now, I preach to different crowds of people. In, in my opinion, kids and teenagers are actually the easiest group to preach to. You might even go, really? But they are because they're, they're open in a different way and they don't, they don't hide it like we do as adults. But when I preach to River of Life, you guys lean in to listen to the gospel and you want it. You want the word of God and you take it in and you put it into practice. I see you put it into practice. I see you being challenged. And when you are challenged, you, you step into it. And I see you being helped by the word of God. And I see you, see you being healed in that. I see you as a church many, many times take interest in the lives of teenagers and college students who could just possibly easily just drop in and be here for a little while and gone. But you notice them and you stop and you find out who they are. Keep doing that. Keep finding out who they are and spending time with them and invite them over for lunch and just do things with college students and teenagers in our church. I see that going on. I see our youth group, as, as I've gotten to spend some time with our youth group over these last couple of weeks, I've been in there several times in the evenings uh, teaching and, and doing some different things. But just watching our youth group thriving in the middle of not having a youth pastor, the youth team has done wonderfully. And then the students are growing. And one of the things I keep hearing from them is we want to serve in our communities, share fest kind of things. And they want to be out and about uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus to our, our city. I see at River of Life something else. You know, we go through the same things as some other people do with uh, family crises and marriage crises. But one of the things that brings me joy at River of Life is that you look for help in the middle of that. And you don't silently suffer and just go downhill. You look for help. And there are families that are being healed and marriages that are being worked on. And men and women individually who needed help that are, that are growing in the Lord. And I see your faith taking root and, and grabbing traction as you move forward. We see people getting saved at River of Life through your relationships and your ministry here. You notice new people. When, you're, when people walk in who aren't a part of River of Life, we're getting to the point size-wise where, yeah, you can't know everybody, but you go seek out people. It's great to go up to somebody and it's okay even if they've been here five years and you're the new person to be like, I haven't met you yet. Do I know you? Are you new here? It, it should, let's just take off the plate the awkwardness of somebody saying, yeah, I've been here for a long time. Okay? I do the same thing sometimes to you, okay? When I, somebody will be like, yeah, I've been here a long time, Pastor. Well, I'm still getting to know everybody here at River of Life and, and uh, let's just take that off the table. But I see you guys moving towards newer people at our church. Paul's encouraged. I'm encouraged. Paul's encouraged by what he sees happening in Thessalonica. I'm encouraged by what I see happening at River of Life. I think God's up to something. And Paul could see that God was up to something here in Thessalonica. His attitude in these verses now is completely different than what we saw last week. Which was concern, which was, I wouldn't say it was an unbiblical worry, but it was a concern for the people. Are they going to be okay? And when Paul hears that they're okay spiritually, not just okay, but they're thriving spiritually, 
He breaks out into a spontaneous prayer because an encouraged Christian can't help but pray. When we know what God's doing in, our, in people's lives, we're drawn to Christ. We're drawn to, to, to express that to God and to ask for more from him of what he's doing. Part of our lack of prayer could possibly come from not being encouraged enough by what God's doing. And we need to be sharing those stories. Journey groups, when you're together... When you're sharing your prayer requests, you're partly sharing those stories. You're sharing what God is doing in your lives. Even as you describe the hard part of it, share the answer to prayer, how God walks you through that. Put those stories out there. Tell testimonies. Ask questions of each other. How is God working in your life? Paul moves on and we read his prayer beginning in verse 9 of chapter 3. I want us to look at what he prays about. So notice these things. He starts in verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day. That we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul so badly wants to get there and to be with them. But he knows it's going to happen only in God's timing. And as God opens the door for that. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So we see in Paul this desire to just, he just breaks out in a spontaneous prayer first with thanksgiving. Because God has done the work. Later in this book, in chapter 4, Paul, Paul says this, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So Paul knows that, yes, he's been used by God. He sees this church as his labor, and he's poured into them. But he knows that it's God who actually has done the work. It's only God who's brought the, the growth of faith and the steadfastness in their lives. And we can always give credit for God to God when we hear the stories of how God's at work in people's lives. And so we share those stories, but he prays for them. Pastor Warren Wiersbe suggests that we look at the remainder of Paul's prayer in three ways. When we think of how to pray for Christians, we discover how Paul prays here. And we can take this, and we're going to put this into practice today. And we're actually going to pray for our church on these three things. So we're going to do that in a few moments as we walk through these three things. We're going to stop and pause and pray as we walk through them. The first of them is this. How can we pray for Christians the same way that Paul did? It's in verse 10, but it's that their faith might mature. Check it out in verse 10. Notice it there. As we pray most earnestly night and day. He's just passionate about praying. He's an intensity of prayer. That we may see you face to face. He wants to see them. And supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, Paul's complimented the Thessalonians for the fact that their faith is strong and it's doing well. But why would he say that he needs to bring what is still lacking in their faith? Well, it all boils down to this. Nobody's faith is perfectly complete, the sight of heaven. There's absolutely no Christian who has yet attained the highest level of faith and the strongest faith possible. We all still need to grow. And what do we need? 
Well, the rest of the book of 1 Thessalonians gives us a clue to that. They, they needed practical instruction on living out their faith, and then they needed to go out and do that. So next week, Doug Grogan's going to take us into that in chapter 4, some of the practicals on Christian faith and how to live out that faith. And then in two weeks, we're going to look at something else where Paul gives them some good, solid doctrine on the return of Christ. They needed to hear about that. The second coming of Christ. And so we'll look at that in depth. But Paul here is encouraging. He's praying for their faith to grow. Faith is like a muscle. When you exercise and you go out and you ride a bike, you run, you play basketball, whatever it might be, and you come back and you're sore, you're tired, your muscles feel like jello. That's actually a good thing, right? We know from science that that's a great thing. The breakdown of the muscle is actually what creates the strength of the muscle. And Paul's looking at a people whose faith in one way has been broken down, but in the midst of that, because their faith has been exercised, it's grown, and it's grown stronger in the middle of it. And Paul wants to see that happen more in their lives. He longs to see their faith grow. Notice that Paul acknowledges that God is the one who does the work. But God works through people, doesn't he? So often, God is the one who brings, God brings a message. God brings his gospel. God brings his encouragement, his instruction, his goodness through people in our lives. People who invest in our lives. And Paul knows that part of him getting back there is so that he can bring instruction and help to them. That he could help them grow in their faith. God uses ordinary people like you and I in the lives of those around us to help us grow. Paul wants to see this happen. He knows it's an aspect of their faith growing. John Calvin found in this verse an indication of the importance of of Christian teaching. And he said this, From this also it appears how necessary it is for us to give careful attention to doctrine. For teachers were not appointed merely with the view of leading men, in the course of a single day or month, to faith of Christ. But for the purpose of perfecting the faith which has been begun. We need people to bring us instruction, to bring us good teaching, to help us grow, that disciple us, that invest. And there's various forms of that. Preaching, one of them, but discipleship, life-on-life stuff. Journey group places. People brought into our lives. So how can we pray like Paul prayed? We can pray for two things. Pray for faith to grow in knowledge and practical living. And then pray for people to enter into the lives of those around us. So we're going to stop and we're going to pray. And we're going to start with this. We're going to pray for a particular group of people in our church. We're going to first pray for children and youth that matter so much to us at River of Life. Many of them are our children. We're going to pray for them to grow in these two ways when it comes to faith. And so it's on the screen there, but if you're a a kid or you're a student, would you pray for another teenager who you know is a believer for this? Would you pray for them? Let's take just a second to do that, and uh, I'll, I'll close us in this prayer. Just silently where you're seated.
God, I can't help but think that that's just a sweet offering to you. Interceding for our kids of this church, this group that composes such an important spot that sets such a tone of what our church actually is like. That is a lot of a reflection of who we are. And God, I pray for their faith to grow, that that there would just be a, a bolstering of faith in our students and our kids in, in our church that that sets the tone for us as adults. And God, we pray that you would bring alongside of them other people who will speak into their lives. God, I know as a dad, my kids need that. They need other people, other Christians to speak truth and life into them and to help form and shape them in their faith. And so, Lord, we pray that you will bring people along in our kids and youth ministry. And so, God, we, we commit them to you. We pray for them in their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul prays for their faith. But he doesn't stop. There's two more. Another thing that he says is he prays that their love may abound. Look in verse 12. He prays that their love may, that the, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. When we're suffering, there's a real temptation for us to become very selfish people. I know I'm, I'm selfish even without suffering, but you put suffering on me, I can turn into a very self-centered person who's mostly concerned about my problems and my issues. There's nothing that reveals the true inner self like the furnace of affliction, right? And Paul is writing to a people that are in the middle of this kind of a setting, and he points, and maybe this is why, is that selfish tendency. He prays that their love may abound for each other and for everyone. Love is not a quality that they were lacking because Paul did point out in this book that in other places that they were doing quite well when it came to love. In chapter 1, verse 3, he mentions it. Again, in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you do not need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do more and more. Like faith, they haven't capped out the potential of how much Christian brotherly love they can have among each other here. What exactly is the love, though, that he's talking about? When we walk into a room like this, do we have to like, just feel good for each other and, ah, I just love you? <laughs> no, that's not what he's talking about, right? What he's talking about is the example of how Christ loved people, okay? Not just a nice feeling for people, but what we do in response for other people. Jesus was the perfect example. He was the ultimate example. He cared for people and brought truth into their lives all at the same time. And Jesus told us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So that begs the question, how did Christ love us? Well, the ultimate example is found on the cross when he gave his life up for us. It's in the giving of ourselves. It's in the utter, complete, total sacrifice of ourselves for somebody else's good. That's the definition of love. Even in all of the terms of what love looks like in the Bible, there's multiple uh, Greek words used in the New Testament. All of them kind of come back to that foundational piece of giving ourselves for another person. 
Okay, sounds great until we actually start reading what Scripture says. Listen to how challenging this is. Isaiah 58 says, and this is out of the message. What I'm interested in, this is God speaking, is seeing you do this. Sharing your food with the hungry. Inviting the homeless poor into your homes and putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad. Being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. And then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. You see, love is sacrificing ourselves so that another person might thrive. It's giving until it hurts. It's stopping to notice people. All of it to point back to Christ. Let's not remove Christ from that. But it's, that's the base of what love looks like. It's dying to self so that another might gain. And it has to be played out first in the church context. With each person committed to that. <clears throat> Do you know what the only cell in the human body that lives for itself is? A cancer cell. Every other cell in the human body lives for the good of the unit. It's the same way with a church body. We must live to give ourselves to other people, not to gain and just pour into me. Give me, give me, give me. We live in a culture that talks about our bucket list, right? Which is all about how can I get experiences and stuff that just fills me up. And we live our lives for experience in self so much. But the paradox of the Christian life is that when we give, and it's not until we pour ourselves out that there's room to gain and be filled with Christ. That we would give away everything we have for the sake of others, for the sake of Christ. And in doing so, that's where I find Christ. And Paul's commission to them was to love one another, which is kind of a school of where we learn to love and then he turns the focus to the outward focus, which is really the bigger picture. Most churches stop at just thinking, well, if we just create a very nice, loving environment, we've done the job. It's wrong. It's unbiblical. Love one another and then love everyone. Love the world. Go out and, and share with the world. If we just love each other and the easy people, we're just doing what the Gentiles could do, right? Jesus said this, you've heard people say, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for anyone who mistreats you. Then you will be acting like your father in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both good and bad people. And he sends rain for the ones who do right and for the ones who do wrong. If you love only those people who love you, will God reward you for that? Even the tax collectors love their friends. If you greet only your friends, what's so great about that? Don't even unbelievers do that? But you must always act like your father in heaven. Sometimes we wonder why it's so hard to live out just the practical, normal Christian life in our everyday relationships with friends and family and neighbors. The answer might very well be, though, that we're trying to do it on our own. When we start a day and we don't get up and pray, we're saying, in effect, I can tackle today on my own. When we come to the end of a day and we don't pray, 
We don't reflect on God at the end of the day. We're saying, I can tackle today quite well on my own. We're, we're telling God that we don't need him. John Buchan once described an atheist as a man who has no invisible needs, or no invisible means of support. An atheist is someone who has no invisible means of support. You see, we sometimes act as if we're Christians or proclaim we're Christians, but we act as if we're atheists in the carrying out of the Christian life. Here's the point I'm trying to make is we can't in our own strength proclaim agape love to other people because it's not natural and you can't do it without God. But that's why the gospel. You see, God is the one who produces agape love in us so that we could love the world. And that's why Paul prays for this and doesn't just say, go love people. He prays for them because he knows only God can produce that in them. God, only God can produce it in you. Charles Spurgeon said, it's beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I gave. Spurgeon got it. I hope I get it. We're going to pray one more time. And this time we're going to pray for, even though it's going to say on the screen, children and youth, we're going to change it in this service. And let's just pray for our church when it comes to the area of love. We need to live, I guess, what we could call a sharefest life all the time. And let's pray that God would give us a love to go pursue that, to go do it as a church. So let's stop and let's pray for that for our church, for us to abound in love for each other and for the world. God, give us love for one another, relationships that need mending and healing, even within our own body. Lord, I pray that you would give us the ability to forgive and to be a people that reflect you with each other. But take us beyond that and give us a love for this world, we pray. And plant in us your heart, a love to live a life of, of caring about the people around us. Help us to see the people, maybe even right next door to us, that we can love. Even if they're hard to love, God, give us the ability to do that. Because we know it can only come from you. So change us in this. Take us deeper. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, one last one. The last thing he prays for, it's found in verse 13, but it's that they may live a holy life. Yes, they need to grow in love, but they grow in love so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. My dad occasionally traveled for his work and had to be out and in ministry. He was in different places and when I was a, a, a kid in elementary school, I remember one time when he was gone for several weeks taking a group of students from Tocoa Falls College on a missions trip to Ecuador. And before he came home, we couldn't wait for him to come back after that long away. And we prepared everything we could for his return. We did 
we, we cleaned the house. I mean, I helped clean the house even. We cleaned the house. We got a meal ready. We made posters for him. We couldn't wait for him to drive up in that old Pontiac station wagon. And sure enough, he drove up and he saw it and we were all ready for him. And as he came in, it was an honor to him as he walked in our house. In the same way, we prepare ourselves for the return of Christ, the parousia of Christ. That Greek word parousia means coming. His coming again. We're going to talk about that much more in depth in two weeks. But we wait, we long for his coming. Parousia means an official visit by an emperor or some other important person with crowds lining the roads and local authorities coming to greet him. Can you picture it? As he comes in, as this important person comes into a city, the parousia was the coming, the entering of that person. There was a preparation that it took for that. And Paul says our preparation is a holy life. The preparation of the heart of a person. Their justification was secure, but their sanctification was still being worked out. That process of God's work being done in them, that they would be transformed people. Something that only the grace of God could do. So this routes us back to the gospel again. We need Jesus to do this in us. But once again, we need to move towards that sanctified, that set apart, holy life. And God calls us to that. Not to get accustomed and content with the sins of our life. And even as Christians, sometimes we get to the point where we just tolerate our sins. We feel like we'll never change. Those things could never be rooted out. And we would never begin to really abide in Christ. But Paul is talking to them and saying, those things are the very things that are also choking you out. And they're causing you to not be prepared. Do you have a sin in your life that you've just become accustomed to? Maybe it's even one of our, on our list, one of the smaller sins. And you just tolerate it like a low-grade fever, 99.9 degrees, and you can make it through life, but it's just there. God is calling us to come to the gospel to begin to change us, to confess it and call it what it is, and to be changed by the gospel. To become a people that are holy and and let him do his work in us in that way. And so Paul routes us in this again back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to pray one more time for holiness in our church. That we would not be content with where we are. Where we are spiritually with the spot we are today. Let's go deeper. Let's go further with Christ in the area of holiness. So let's stop and pray that for each other right now, and then we'll wrap up with that. psalmist said, search me and try me, O God. Look within us individually, God, and help us to see where your gospel can be applied into our lives and for us to lean into you as the one who applies grace and transformation in us. But we start with acknowledgement. So God, in us as a church, will you bring about holiness and do a work in us in the area of holiness? As we prepare ourselves for your coming when we finally see you face to face. We pray this for your sake in Jesus name.
Amen. The point of all of this, you guys, is that we can't do this on our own. But that's the gospel. We can't do it, but God can. And it routes us, it brings us back into saying, I need Jesus. I need his grace. I need his, his love in my life to carry these things out so that he would work in me and use me in the lives of people around me. So what do we do with all this? We pray, we tell our stories, but we lean into Jesus. We lean into the only one who can rescue us and help us and move us forward with him. Would you stand for our benediction? It comes from 1 Thessalonians. It's right where we've been today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Let's make this our prayer as we go today. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Amen.